Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. John Bunyan, if you don't know the name, you really need to go buy a book and look him up, read about him. He is an important figure in church history. And John was a great preacher of the gospel back in the 17th century in England. And if you remember the story, the government then was trying to control the church in those days. And they said to him, Mr. Bunyan, you must register to preach the gospel if you're going to preach the gospel in England. And John said back to them, I'll have no strings on my message. I will not register. So they put him in a prison and it was dark and it was damp and it was dirty and he didn't even have a a bed to sleep on. You look at his work and you think, well, this guy was a great hero of the faith. He must have had it pretty easy. No, the man didn't even have a bed to sleep on. John had a family. John had a little girl back home who suffered from epilepsy. He had a wife at home living in poverty all the time he was there. The government closed the doors of his church. Now, the other preachers, because this is how it goes, some preachers hold the line and some don't. The other preachers did sign with the government. They were preaching. Their churches were still open. But John Bunyan was in prison and he kept saying, I will not sign. And so here's what they did. They put the license right outside his jail cell right outside of it, so he could not only see it, he could reach out, he could touch it, he could grab it, he could sign it. That's all he had to do, was just reach through those bars, pick it up, sign it, and the doors would be open, and he would be free. But he stayed in that prison. He stayed there, and he refused to obey men rather than God. And while in prison, he wrote the book, of course, Pilgrim's Progress. And John Bunyan took such a stand because here is why. He understood an important truth. He understood he was a citizen of heaven and he had to obey God rather than men. Now in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, we find Paul about at this same spot in his life, under arrest in Rome, chained to Roman soldiers, soon to stand before the emperor of Rome but refusing to back down because he knew his true identity. He knew who he belonged to. Would you join me this morning in Philippians chapter 3 and we start our time in verse 12. And look at what Paul says. He says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul is saying here that the new life given to him in Christ gave him this overwhelming desire to know Jesus Christ even more. Oswell Chambers once said it like this, My goal is God himself at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. 
This is wanting to know God more. You see, Paul is no longer talking about coming to know Christ as Savior for redemption. Paul had already been saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. And he wants to know Jesus Christ more. He wants a deeper walk with Christ. This is about 30 years after Paul first came to know Jesus Christ. This is about 30 years after Christ first grabbed a hold of him on the road to Damascus. His life in Christ was not complete. I'm not perfect, he says. Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not perfect, but I press on. Now, Paul belongs to Christ. Christ had a hold of Paul. So Paul wanted to grab a hold of Christ, becoming like Christ in all his fullness. Now, this thought is so critical to Paul's thinking. What does he do in verse 13? He repeats it. He says, I'm not there yet. I don't count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there. And he uses the metaphor of a foot race. He says, I forget what is behind and I look ahead to what is before me. There's a course yet to be run. Some of us may have 50 more years of running for Jesus Christ. Some of us may have 10 more years of running for Christ. But keep running, he says. Keep looking ahead. Keep your eyes on the finish line. You know, when an athlete runs a race, if he doesn't keep his focus, he's not going to be able to compete. You can't be running a race and then starting to look to the side and looking behind you. You have to keep your eye on the finish line. Good athletes learn to block out the noise of the crowd. They ignore the pain when they're hurt because they're concentrated on what lies ahead. And when Paul talks about forgetting the things which are behind, put this all into context. Go back to our verses last week where Paul had listed out every single way that he had tried to earn God's favor. And Paul is telling us, I could dwell on all that wasted time, all those wasted efforts, but I'm not going to. Paul, like every one of us, had his sin. He had his mistakes in the past that were forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. His pride in the past, his arrogance in the past. He'd never forget those things. You can't just wipe your mind blank from all the sin in your past. But he does teach us, listen, that we can break the power of the past by living for the future. We can break the power of our past mistakes by living for the future in Christ. Paul says, I could dwell on the fact that I once was a huge hypocrite. I was a legalist. Paul could dwell on the persecution of the church and all the lives he destroyed in the church before Christ. Or after salvation, Paul could focus on his suffering that he faced for the sake of the gospel. But he says, instead, I'm going to run that race. I'm going to keep on running and I'm going to run that race for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to cloud my mind with the past. I'm going to reach forward, he says, towards those things which are ahead. Simply because, Paul says, I know from the word of God that Jesus Christ has more in store for me. I'm going to put my eye on the finish line. I mean, that's amazing if you think about who Paul was. This was a guy who impacted major cities in the Roman Empire with the gospel of Christ. He started churches. He was used by God to record his word. And yet Paul could say, no matter what side of glory it happens on, Christ has more for me. 
You know, it's so easy to sit back and reflect on all the things that we've done in the past. Our minds wander and we think about the past. But sometimes looking back keeps us from looking forward to Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm going to reach forward. And the word picture that he uses is of an athlete throwing himself forward in the race with every bit of energy that he has. And the metaphor continues in verse 14. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Beautiful phrase in Christ Jesus. What is Paul's goal? See, Paul's goal is complete knowledge of Christ, to know Christ fully, to know the power of Christ living in us. And when the goal was reached, the prize, the reward would be his at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And that's the reference here in verse 14, where he says the upward call of God. See, every believer in Jesus Christ is running their own race. I can't run your race for you. You can't run my race for me. And every believer has their own track. Every believer has their own race to run. Now, at the races of their day, if you want to understand what Paul's saying here, at the races of their day, those who would win the prize would be called up to the winner's stand to receive their reward. And Paul, I want you to notice with me, Paul isn't saying that his goal is to live a perfect life. He's saying, I want to grab on. I want to lay hold to the purpose that God has for my life. I want to continue to grow in God's grace. I want to become all that Jesus Christ wants me to become. I want to know Christ more before I die. Because the more you mature, and this is what he's teaching, the more you mature in Jesus Christ, the more you realize how much further you have to go to become like Christ. And so listen to me, Christians, and hear this. God's goal for you, God is not looking for perfection. Don't put that impossible standard on yourself. He's looking for progress, not perfection. Press on in your goal in Jesus Christ. Years ago, the Goodyear company worked on reinventing the wheel. You wouldn't think we'd have to do that, but yeah, it's modern age. We do that. So they worked in a wind tunnel in Italy. And engineers found that the shape of the wheels and the tires can make up as much as 7% of the drag for cars when moving at steady highway speeds. Now, Goodyear didn't stop with just the wheels. They looked at everything to see what causes the drag from the air when the car is moving. An open window, in case you're wondering if when you got kids in the back that are opening up the windows, an open window can cause 7% more drag. This is why you don't see roof racks anymore. Roof racks cause 13% drag. Mud flaps, 7%. Outside mirrors, 3%. Spotlights, 2%. And even those little old-fashioned radio antennas, a 1% drag on the wind resistance. Paul is teaching us that to effectively live in the present moment, we need to reduce our spiritual drag. 
Paul is saying, travel lighter. Break the power of the past because the past is behind us. If we keep looking at the past, we cannot move forward. And so what does the writer of Hebrews tell us? He says, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our Faith. Back to our text. We pick up Philippians with verse 15. Read this with me. It says, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul is specifically telling us that a mark of maturity in Christ is the desire to know Christ more, the desire to know our Savior more. And it's for this reason that we as a church study the Word of God line by line, because the best path to knowing the Savior is knowing the Word. And so don't miss the teaching of verse 15. If you are mature in Christ, have this mindset. And if you're using a different translation, that should be the translation. Maturity, not perfection. It should be maturity, not perfection. Have this mindset. And Christian, if you're not thinking like this, Paul says, God's going to teach you. God's going to teach you. If you've dropped out of the race, still saved by the grace of God, but more bogged down with living for the world than running the race for Christ, God will teach you. God's going to reveal this to you. But it's up to you by the power of God in you to get up off the ground and start running for Christ. No one can do it for you. I can't make you grow in your faith, and no one else here can either. You have to want to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. And in verse 16, Paul says, to the decree we've already attained, meaning run the race for Christ with the knowledge that you have in him now. With the knowledge that you have in him now, run that race. Everything you've learned already as a Christian, everything that God's already taught you, live up to this truth. Don't stop growing, but live up to the truth of Christ that you already know. And he says, walk together in Christ. Let us be of the same mind. You know, Paul is touching on here what could be the greatest need in the Western church today. For God's people to start living up to what they already know of Jesus Christ. Because if we're going to be honest, most Christians live far below of who Christ has made us to be. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. The wording is military wording here. Keep on walking the same walk. Keep on thinking the same thoughts. Stay in line behind the principles of the Word of God and walk on to maturity because we are responsible to live out what we have learned from the Scriptures. Pick it up with verse 17 in your text. He says, brethren, join me in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Being half-hearted in how we approach living out our faith doesn't inspire anyone else to walk with Christ. 
Now, in case you've been wondering all your life, the meaning of life has actually been discovered. This is Robin Quivers. She's a co-host for Howard Stern's radio show. And if you don't know who this is, don't feel bad. I had no idea either. I really didn't. But when she was diagnosed with cancer, she underwent 17 months of chemo and radiation. And then at the end of it all, she claimed to discover the meaning of life. Listen to what she said. This should be good. She said, quote, what I learned is very simple, that your life belongs to you. And it doesn't really matter what you do with it, but it should be what you want to do with it. Not what your mother or father or your friends or society wants. It should be I directed. And that's the only purpose for being here. And I would say she's done us a huge favor, that she has done us a great favor by perfectly describing the exact opposite of the message of Scripture about being a servant of Jesus Christ. Life is not about having a beautiful home. It's not about money. It's not about power. It's not even living for our next vacation. The object of life is about the maturing of the soul in Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? The object of life is about the maturing of the soul in Christ. And so Paul tells the church, look around. Find the ones that are following Jesus Christ. Find people in your life that are becoming more and more like him and find in them an example to follow. You see, that's Paul's advice. He says, watch who you hang out with. Watch who you're spending time with. Watch how you're spending your time. Spend time with the people looking to mature in Christ. Convicting words. Paul said he was a pattern. A pattern. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where did he say? Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul says, we gave you a pattern. We showed you by our example of how to live because there's always going to be people, plenty of people, who are not going to follow Jesus Christ, not following the Word of God. That's not a problem finding those people. That's easy to do. There are enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul says, many walk this way. These are the people that feel they can live however they want. And the saddest part of this text is based on the wording. As you look at it, as you break it down, I honestly believe that at some point these people professed Jesus Christ. God will have to be the one to judge their redemption. But Paul says he wept over them. Paul had at one point in time expected more out of them. Perhaps they were like so many today, professing Christ but never regenerated, no faith, never reconciled to a holy God. These are the type of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ with dangerous doctrines. Paul had warned them. And what is the ultimate end of such a people? It is destruction. Meaning if it's lost people Paul is talking about, that would be eternal separation from God in judgment for unbelievers. But also keep in mind, that may not be what he's talking about here. Because the word for destruction means ruin. And so if Paul had in mind Christians saved by grace, but living like a bunch of heathens, living like a bunch of lost, the end of these people would be ruin, meaning they'd be disciplined by God. Some believers do live their lives in opposition to the cross of Christ. Some believers never really learn what it means to live for Jesus Christ. Makes me think of Isaiah 520, where we read this. 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Their God is their stomach, Paul says. Their glory is their shame. These are the people who indulge and boast about the things that we should be ashamed of. The things we should be ashamed of. Some people are always focused on food, their homes, the latest toy they just bought. They set their mind on earthly things, bragging about the things that they should be embarrassed and ashamed of. And they let this lust consume them because they're never, ever satisfied. But that is not the way we should live, is it? Verse 20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. These two verses always make me think of the story of a colony of grubs that lived on the bottom of a swamp. Every once in a while, one of these grubs in this story is inclined to climb a leaf stemmed up to the surface. And then he disappears above the surface and he never returns. And all the grubs wonder why this is and what it must be like up there. So they talk amongst themselves and they come up with a little agreement that the next one that goes up, the next one will come back and tell others. Well, not long after this, one of the grubs feels the urge and he climbs that leaf stem and goes out above the surface onto a lily pad where he falls asleep. And while he falls asleep, the outer shell of this tiny little creature breaks open and out of the inside of the grub comes this, a magnificent dragonfly with beautiful colored rainbow wings. And he spreads those wings and he flies and he soars out above the waters. Then he remembers the commitment to those that he made that he left behind. But he knows he can't return because the other grubs would not recognize him at this point. And his body has changed. It's not designed anymore to live in such a place again. And the one thought is his that takes away all the stress. They too shall climb up that stem and they too shall one day know that glory. See, Paul tells us to start looking up. Look to your real home in heaven because the day is coming when every one of his people will be transformed into glory. See, Jesus is coming again from heaven, and when he does, he will complete the work that he began in us. He will complete the transformation process so that it's not just our hearts and minds that are changed. It's not just that, but our bodies are going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, into the glorified body of Christ. In every way, we are going to be able to reflect God's glory. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait until Jesus comes. I can't wait for heaven. But until then, what can I do as a Christian? I can live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I can live now as a citizen of heaven, even though I live here in a fallen world. The Philippian Christians, they understood this whole concept of citizenship. They lived in a city that was far away from Rome. Most of them had never been there, but they were citizens of 
of Rome, and they were proud of their status. And what is, what is it that Scripture says in Hebrews 11.10? It tells us that we belong to this city, the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Our eyes are to be looking up, anticipating the coming of our Savior. Because if you're looking up, if you're living for the coming of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, it takes your eyes off everything here and now. You can't look at Christ and look at your problems at the same time. It takes us completely off our problems and makes us focused on Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us our bodies are going to be transformed so that they too will conform to his resurrection body. Right now, our bodies are lowly bodies with a sin nature given to sickness, given to disease. Anybody got some aches and pains this morning? Anybody got some colds or sickness? That's what we have, but that's all going to change. What does Paul tell us in 1 Thessalonians 4? He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And what does he say? And thus we shall always, always be with the Lord. You see, at that time, we will receive our glorified bodies that reflect our status as children of God. And Paul tells us over in 1 Corinthians 15, speaking of the resurrection of the dead, he says, the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And back in our text in verse 21, Paul tells us that just as Christ is going to bring all things under his authority, Christ is also going to one day transform our bodies. Paul says, I guarantee it. It's going to happen. Christ has the power to do it. He's going to complete his work in you, Christian. Paul says, we eagerly wait for the Savior. Are you eagerly waiting for the Savior? I hope you are. Strong wording. I hope you long for the Savior. Paul is telling us mature believers in Christ live in anticipation of the coming Savior. They don't settle in. They don't settle into this world and make this world our home. They look to his coming kingdom. They look to the resurrection of the dead. They know that the resurrection is further proof that the sovereign creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, has everything underneath his control. And we can know that someday... We're going to have perfect bodies that will never die. A body that will make us perfectly able to serve our Savior. The expectation of the imminent return of Christ should be all the motivation we need to live right now as citizens of heaven, even while still here on earth. In the year 1899, two famous men died in the United States. One was an unbeliever who had made a career of attempting to disprove the Bible and argue against the doctrines of the Christian faith. The other man was a Christian. Robert Ingersoll, this was the unbeliever. And his death, when he died, it was sudden. It happened all at once, and it came as an unmitigated shock to his family. His body was kept in the home for several days because his wife could not bear to part with it. And it was finally removed only because the corpse was starting to decay and rot. It wouldn't be healthy for the family to let it remain anymore. 
and the remains were cremated, and the display at the crematorium was so dismal, so, so sad, that some of the scene was picked up by the newspapers and reported to the entire nation. In Ingersoll, he had used his great intellect to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but when death came, there was no hope. The departure was received by his friends and his family as an utter tragedy. But in the same year, this man also died, D.L. Moody, evangelist D.L. Moody, and his death was a celebration of life for both himself and his family. Moody had been sick for some time. Moody had been declining, and his family had been taking turns, taking care of him, being with him. And on the morning of his death, his son was beside him, and he heard Moody proclaim, Earth is receding, heaven is opening, God is calling. And then a little later on, he said, is this death? This is not bad. There's no valley. This is bliss. This is glorious. And his daughter was now with him, and she began to pray for his recovery. But Moody told her, no, Emma, don't pray for that. God is calling. This is my coronation day. I've been looking forward to it. Well, shortly after that, Moody was received into heaven. And at his funeral service, family and friends joined in a joyful service. It was a celebration of his life and his ministry. And they spoke and they sang hymns and they heard the words proclaimed, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Amen. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Moody's death was a part of that victory. We're going to cover it again next week, but I think it would be fitting to read the very next words from Paul. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast in the Lord, because if you have redemption in Christ, the victory is yours. The victory is yours. As a citizen of the coming kingdom of God, this means I do not have to live in fear. I don't have to fear next week. I don't have to fear next month. And I don't even have to fear dying. And it means I certainly don't have to live under the guilt of the past because I am a child of God. I have been liberated by a God who loves me, a God who saved me and has a promise to finish his work in me. And the very fact that I'm a citizen of heaven, that my home is in heaven, means that by the power of Jesus Christ living in me, I'm going to live like I don't belong here because I belong to Christ. So here's my admonition. Look ahead, Christians, to that upward calling. Look ahead. Look ahead to the reward that comes by being faithful to our King. And then start running that race. Start running that race. Run alongside other men and women here and anyone that's in your life who has this kingdom mindset. And then look up to heaven because our redemption in Christ draws near. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. 
Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.